And now, more sports and torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris. Elliot, let's get right to our next guest, a player I watched play in the 80s, played the Cubs numerous times. He was a seven-time All-Star, won five gold gloves, two-time MVP, a gentleman who I cannot believe is not in the Baseball Hall of Fame, former Atlanta Brave Dale Murphy. How you doing, Dale? Oh, good. Thank you. Thank you. I remember you watching him in the 70s. <laughs> yes, I, I snuck into the 70s, too. That's right. Dale, I look at these stats here. I mean, you're close to 400 home runs, all these all-star games. How are you not in the Hall of Fame? Does this kind of shock you? <laughs> well, I appreciate that. You know, it's... It, uh, you know, I, I do have a lot of people that are very supportive. Uh, you know, to be honest with you, maybe I um, would expect a little bit more support because I really haven't even been close um, as far as that con- is concerned. I'm, you know, between 10 and 15 percent. So, you know, it's just one of those things. It's, it's kind of awkward to talk about. I mean, I'd love to get in there. I know it's tough to get in. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll just have to, we'll have to see what happens. I'm I am. Uh, I only have a. I think I have a couple more years on the ballot, so we'll see what happens. I mean, you look at the contemporary of yours, Andre Dawson, who just got in last year. I mean, basically, you two had similar stats during your careers, and he got the seventy-five percent two years ago. But I think part of the thing that hurt you was this whole steroids in the '90s, where all these numbers got inflated. Well, I think so. I mean, Andre, you know. Uh, had, fantastic career i mean one of the few guys and you have to correct me if i'm wrong i think uh one of the few guys have over 300 home runs and over 300 steals or maybe it was 400 and 400 i think it was 300 300 i mean andre had a tremendous career i think um uh you know in my last couple of years I, a lot of people talk about i i had some knee injuries and really didn't play that much and so i think uh, that's one of the things that that uh you know that people talk about as far as you know, getting in, you you got to kind of be in the memory, uh, you know, of the voters. And my last couple of years were a little slow, and then you have to wait five years before you're eligible. So, um, you know, there's a couple things, but, you know, we'll see what happens. Now, do you think if you had stayed a catcher, you'd have had a better chance? Well, I, if I had stayed a catcher, I probably wouldn't have made it. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, cause I, I struggled kind of, uh, uh, you know, that was one of the, the challenges I had was, uh, um, was catching. I had changed positions. You know, my defense wasn't very good. And, and so it kind of, you know, went from, uh, that to, to the outfield. And it was a good move for me for sure, obviously. You were in all those all-star games. How do you feel a guy like Derek Jeter here basically and Aramis Ramirez turning down the opportunity to play in the all-star game because they're tired? They already had travel plans. Well, I wasn't I wasn't aware of Aramis Ramirez's uh, situation, um, but I would feel the same as I do about Derek Jeter. And I, was, I mean, they should be there. There's no question about it. Uh, I think Derek Jeter on the day he got three thousand hits went five for five, didn't he? Yes. Like, <laughs> yeah, he did. I mean, I just can't imagine how big and how exciting that celebration would have been uh, in Arizona with him just getting his three thousand hit, uh, having doing it on a home run. Um, it'd be a, a just a huge celebration for baseball and, and a chance to acknowledge Derek Jeter and a chance for you know. And I was just saying, um, um, play an inning, get in that bat, you know, fly in an hour before the game and 
hang around for an hour and then fly home. I mean, I mean, Derek may have a private jet of his own. I don't know, but uh, I think I just shocked that the Yankees at the commissioner's office. There wasn't more pressure put on Derek Jeter to show up, uh, especially since he was active. I don't know about uh, uh, Ramirez's situation, but Derek Jeter, there's no no question he should be be there. You know, if you if you get elected by the fans or pick your All Star game, you know, you, you should show up. No question about it. Yeah, and and Bud Selig, the commissioner, he said, "Oh, I'm cool with Derek Jeter not showing up," and I'm I'm thinking. That's idiotic. He said all, he would have done the same thing. All, all Derek Jeter, he, he doesn't even have to play a game, uh, a go to at bat or anything. All he has to do is show up, tip his cap to the crowd, go into the dugout, change into street clothes, and, and get the heck out of Phoenix. It, well, yeah, and, and, and I understand him about him being concerned about just coming off the DL. But, again, he, he's, play, he's playing, and he's healthy. And really just make a ceremonial appearance would have been all, I think, all people with you know, I think people would understand. Yeah, he's a little tender. I mean, I, I remember I got voted in as a starter. I think it was the Houston uh, uh, All-Star game, and I can't remember the year, but I wasn't having that good a year. Uh, but I got voted in as the starter, and uh, and I told, uh, again, I can't even remember who was managing that year. <laughs> but anyway, I said, hey, you know, I'll, I'll start out there and give me an at-bat, but there were about three or four guys that were having tremendous years. And I said, just... You know, I feel like I should be out there because the fans voted me in, but I really don't feel like I deserve more than an at-bat. So, uh, you know, I got in and got one at-bat off of Clemens, and that wasn't any fun anyway. And uh, <laughs> then, then uh, you know, he, uh, our manager got, got the other guys in there, which I thought, you know, I should do. I was voted in. And, uh, you know, uh, but it, I just can't believe that baseball didn't put some kind of pressure on Derek Jeter. Um and and the Yankees as well. Just everybody involved should have explained to him how how critical this what well, not critical, but how important it was for him to be there. Well, and all the other ball players who opted out because you know now baseball has changed it so that home field for the World Series hinges on who wins this game, and you have guys who were like second, third, fourth tier stars in the game as opposed to the true stars of the American and National Leagues. If it's that important to game, baseball should say, you're you're chosen, you go. Well, yeah, but that brings up the other problem with having that game uh, determine home field advantage in the World Series, which I, I just, I, I can't get my head around, you know. You and I mean, me both. It, it, yeah, I mean, I, I, well, everybody's like that. <laughs> it's like, Except Bud Selig. Bud Selig and the one. folks at Fox think it's great. And they've well, had and they had record low ratings for the second year in a row. So I don't think this time it counts is working. No, no, it, it doesn't. It's because it's because it's an exhibition game and people know it. I mean, I still think we have a great All Star game, but it, it's a great All Star game for a number of reasons. Not because it determines home field advantage. It's a great All Star game because it's baseball. Baseball is not a game where you can fake playing defense. The other, the other sports, it's a given you're not going to go in and play defense. And in baseball, the nature of the game just does not lend itself to taking defense off. I mean, you watch those pitchers in there. They're trying to strike guys out. Um, guys are trying to make plays in the field. Um, you can't not play defense in baseball. So it makes it a good, as good as possible exhibition game as you can. But an exhibition game ceases to be an exhibition game when it means something. So you're actually 
trying to do two things. You're trying to have it mean something, but it's not it's not played like it means something. They're still running people in and out. So you can't have it both ways. Either it's an exhibition game or it means something and then let's you know, let's do it. But but for baseball not to change more rapidly in certain situations like getting rid of this and also having home field advantage earned during the season is just not that difficult to do. But then that brings up another problem is you need even schedules. So you got to get rid of interleague play and have everybody play the same, which I think it's time to get rid of interleague play too. But the bottom line is you need to determine home field advantage on the field during the year. You need to earn it instead of having, like you say, um, an exhibition game determine it. Did you hear the news today about the mistrial and the Roger Clemens trial? The uh, prosecution uh, screwed up. They basically didn't follow the judge's pretrial orders not to play the videotape of Andy Pettit's wife testifying before Congress, and now they got to start over. <laughs> well, I did see a little bit on Twitter that uh, I didn't see it as official, so it is official. It's official. They had a mistrial. Yeah. And this is, you know, this is why I don't, you know, it doesn't really matter because the, the court of public opinion means more in situations like this than legal courts anyway. And that's why I don't understand why Roger Clemens has been fighting this thing. Anybody in a situation with steroids, I think baseball, first of all, took, took some, some, uh, action that forced guys, you know, there should have been clemency or not clemency, whatever the word is, uh, uh, just the baseball should have said, look, we know guys took it. Let's fix the problem. We're, we're not trying to make criminals out of everybody. Let's fix the problem. But then Congress got involved, forced people's hand. And, you know, it, doesn't, it, it ultimately doesn't really matter if Roger gets off of this or not. We all kind of know what we think and what we feel. And uh, I don't understand why Roger Clemens has taken such a legal uh uh, angle to this whole thing anyway, because I just think it's, it hasn't enhanced his, his reputation. I think just admitting what happened happened, uh, because the court of public opinion, as far as baseball fans is concerned, is more powerful than the court, than the, than the law of the land. That's just the way it is. Don't, and, uh, with Roger, don't you, know, you just think it's, e- it. do you think it's ego? Well, yeah, yeah, I think it's, uh, it must be, and, and you certainly understand. That's why you need someone close to you to think clearly through this thing. And it's counterintuitive just to say, look, in the long run, everybody's everybody's reputation has been enhanced by just talking about it. We all know it happened. So let's just get it out there and talk about it. We all understand, but to continually say, I wasn't involved in it or didn't take it, you know, then then everybody credibility's lost because we all know what happened. The one I feel uh, bad for is former Atlanta Brave Hank Aaron. He worked so hard, he broke Babe Ruth's record, and that clown Barry Bonds, who is an alleged steroid user, goes and breaks his home run record for all time home runs, and Hank Aaron did it the right way. Well, I think the other thing that, that shows is just an amazing uh way that Hank handled that whole thing. I mean, can you imagine what Hank's really feeling deep inside about this? Not whole thing? too happy. And, and and look how Hank handled that. He okay, he didn't go to the game, but he was on video. He congratulated Barry, and you know now he he won't talk about it. Um, he has said, I think I've seen a couple interviews that you know said something funny happened 
during this era, and people have tried to pin him down and say, you know, what do you what do you mean when you say something funny? And he just doesn't want to get into it. So I think we all know, you know, Hank handled that great. There was a problem in baseball. I think we're doing great as I think we are as far as addressing the problem. Uh, it's just really an unfortunate thing, but I, I agree with you. I mean, um, but it's could a you weird imagine- time in baseball, but I think we're making a lot of good progress. Could you imagine your old pitching coach in Atlanta, Bob Gibson, if he would have had the record? I don't think he would have kept his mouth shut. I think he would have laid into Barry. <laughs> he would have thrown one at his head. <laughs> well, you guys know Gibby like I know Gibby. Yeah. Did you ever? Did he ever pitch batting practice to you when you were with the Braves? Uh, a couple times, and it wasn't any fun. I mean, he wouldn't, <laughs> he, he wouldn't throw at us or anything, obviously, in that situation. But his ball just seemed to move all over the place. He just—he was one of those guys, one of those coaches that it didn't translate into good BP when he threw BP. Well, he has that competitive fire. I—I I take it it's very <laughs> difficult to turn that off, even if you're retired. <laughs> Well, no, no question about it. Nuxie, when Nuxie would throw us BP, he'd, he'd throw a few unless, and then he'd throw a knuckleball and make us look silly. What was it like when Ted Turner stepped out and managed you guys for that one game? It had to be crazy in Atlanta. Well, you know, actually, there's uh, p- people assume I was there because I got called up in '77 in September. But but that that day that it happened, I was actually in AAA, and. Uh, so I wasn't actually there to witness it, but I, I, I do know they had to teach him how to put on the uniform. And so it was, it, it didn't get off to a good start. He doesn't put his pants on one leg at a time like everybody else? <laughs> yeah, but when it got to the stirrups and everything, that kind of messed him up. A little complicated there. I mean, yeah. you had a, you had Joe Torrey as your manager early in your career. Did you ever envision him becoming a future Hall of Fame manager? Well, actually, yeah. Well, I, I shouldn't say yeah, I had that vision. I, it doesn't surprise me. Um, and a lot of people, too, forget that, that that, uh, that I played for him for three years. We had him in Atlanta, 80, uh, 82, 83, 84, and we did really well, and that's when Ted fired him, which the rumor is, and one of these days I'm going to pin Joe down on it, but the rumor is they wanted to fire Bob Gibson, as talked about Gibby before, and Joe says, well, if you fire him, then I'm leaving. And uh, so uh, I think that's what happened. Otherwise, you can't understand why we would fire him. when we finished first, second, and second. And, uh, you know, I had my best years under him. I mean, him and Bobby Cox were great managers to play for. But I, I could kind of see that, you know, given an opportunity, he's going to he's gonna manage a team well, which I think a lot of people don't give him enough credit. I think we, he... he Gets a lot of credit, which he should, but some people say, well, he was with New York, and it's just not that easy. It's not that easy to manage a team and be that good for that long, no matter who's on your team. Yeah. No, he, he managed the Cardinals for a while and uh, wasn't a bad manager, but he didn't have the players that he did in New York. And, uh, well, yeah, there's no, I think he'd be the first to admit you got to have players, good players to win, but to, to manage and, and keep that thing rolling is just n- not as simple as it looks. When you when you do have a lot of great players uh, and and salaries and and you're playing for George Steinbrenner and and you got egos and you got New York, I, I don't think there's a you know um, a lot of guys that can 
can do that and and manage that whole situation. I'm not just talking about managing the game. I'm talking about managing that whole that whole thing, keeping people happy, keeping people productive, you know, communicating with everybody in the right way. Uh, I thought he did a marvelous job. Your son's not a bad football player, Sean. Here I see that he's played for the Dolphins, the Buccaneers, the Panthers, and Broncos. What is he telling you what's going on with this whole NFL situation? <laughs> well, um, man, I don't know. If I, I, I might be sworn to secrecy here. Uh, <laughs> I, he does, he, you know, he, he definitely gets emails and he gets conference calls. Uh, they keep the players well, uh, well informed. Um, I think a couple of, I, I don't think I, in fact, I heard Tony Gonzalez say these very words the other day, uh, with the news that a, an agreement was relatively imminent in a couple of weeks. He said, I'm not that optimistic. And, uh, I think, uh, Sean always tells me, he goes, you know, the people that know that are in there, they're not talking. So the people that are speculating, they speculate a lot of stuff, but until those people, that are in those meetings that really come out with some details that something's done. I think, uh, uh, I think they're just kind of, uh, uh, trying to be patient. Now, how mind boggling is it, whether it's the NFL, the NBA, or Major League Baseball, that these labor negotiations never go smoothly? You think, okay, both sides are doing not so bad, and especially in the NFL, but it, it, it's like any other union management labor situation. Yeah, it is, and I've been through them. Uh, I missed the big one in '94 where the World Series was canceled. Obviously, a uh, tough situation, but I, I think I went through at least four of them during my career. My my take on it is, okay, after the '94 one, it, it was obvious the players wanted an, an agreement, and things went smoothly. But whenever there's an option of locking and locking out or striking. And, and, and then, then what are those results in a work stoppage? I very seldom have I seen if there's big issues on the table. Uh, I mean, I had a couple of work stoppages that didn't last too long, but a couple of them, you know, lasted, you know, during the season. And, and, uh, my, my, my feeling is, I guess what I'm trying to say is I haven't seen a lot of these things solved unless someone goes through some pain. And, and usually it's the players and the fans that are going to go through the pain. And so, you know, I hope not, but I would be surprised if if the the owners don't test the union and see if guys start start cracking because yeah, you're right, everybody's doing good, but owners are owners because uh they're pretty tough and they got to where they were uh where they are because they take hard lines, and they want to see if people crack, and that's how you get that much money sometimes. Um, sometimes you got to be that way, I guess, and I don't think these owners are very soft. So I'm worried, basically. Yeah. And it is a lot of money we're talking about, even though they say it's a battle of billionaires and millionaires. If you look over time, that's a lot of money out of somebody's pocket or into somebody's pocket. So if they say, okay, oh, we'll, sure. we'll lose some games here, there, whatever, in the grand scheme well, of things, it's almost irrelevant. Exactly. And people say, well, what about the fans? And, and, and I'll tell you, they're not thinking about the fans. <laughs> fans are going to come back. We're all going to come back. We always do. We always will. And for that few fans that say or, or, or uh, 
you know, I read a few sports articles, you know, I hear it on the internet, I mean, hear it on radio or read on the internet. You know, what about the fans? That, that, that is not a discussion that is taking place in that room. They're concerned about how much money they're going to get and how much money they're going to make. And, uh, and fans will come back. I mean, when the NFL comes on, I'm going to watch it. I don't care if the season, you know, if they miss half the season, we will all come back. Uh, we don't have anything else to watch. I will say that the problem with the NFL is they still have a little, uh, uh, competition with college football. Baseball has got good college baseball, but the major, major league game is still the major league game. So you don't have as much competition, but no, it, it, you know, and, and people say, like you said, billionaires versus millionaires. Well, What's fair, you know, what uh, the, the players are trying to do what's fair, what they feel is fair. And it, it, we shouldn't, as outsiders, say, well, you know, if you make a million dollars, which, again, not all these guys are making this. Uh, the average average career is a couple of years, maybe two and a half years. Uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, having a son involved in it and and having other of my kids play football, I would just never agree to what the owners propose because these guys have a shortened lifespan, a lot of them. They have short careers. Uh, they are almost constantly injured, it seems like. When they do leave, they seem like they have some disability. We have head trauma. We have documented things that these football players go through, and they're very rare, and they should be compensated at the highest possible uh, level. That's my opinion. And, uh, for instance, 18 games are, are you, I, I can't even believe that an owner would try to approach a player and say, we'd like to add two more games. Yeah, we'll take away two games in the preseason. You know, it was just unbelievable, uh, the feeling sometimes I think people have, and particular ownership towards the players. Um, Baseball, you know, we have it relatively easy. Basketball's a tough sport, obviously, but football has it the toughest. We've seen Ditka and, and how he has tried to get people to know and understand what the old players are going through. I mean, if there's anything that a, an occupation or a sport uh, should have the highest level of compensation, it's football players and retired football players. Yeah. Uh, and so they should... They should absolutely stay together, stay strong. <laughs> and this isn't just because I have a son in the NFL. I mean, this, uh, professional athlete to professional athlete. You guys hang in there for the most you can get for you and those who play it. Because, you know, now I've seen personally, uh, you know, what, and I understand now the more I read and the more studies are out that this stuff is serious business on their, on their bodies and their lives. And, uh, you know, I tell the NFL players, go for it and don't give in. I'll tell you what, though. Your son's going to be playing guard for the Broncos. He's going to be guarding a player I really respect in the NFL, Tim Tebow, who just gets ripped left and right for his values. And you know what? I think more people should have those values. I'm sorry. My phone cut out there. You're, no problem. Your, son, your son's going to be protecting Tim Tebow, a guy who gets ripped left and right by the media because he's got family values. He comes from a very close family. And you know what? I think more people should be like that. And you said in your books here the way people should act. Well, I, yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, uh, this the guy is uh, uh, a, a competitor. He loves to compete. He thinks about his team. He likes, you know, he, he's is is his uh he he has a a faith-based life he 
I haven't heard about him getting arrested or carrying a gun. Maybe he does, but <laughs> I doubt it. Uh, yeah, it, it, it definitely is, is what I, he, he definitely is what I want my kids or the young football players to look up to. I mean, this guy is a battler. And, you know, a lot of people, and I have to say, I, I didn't know how good an NFL quarterback he was going to be, but looks like he's going to be pretty good. And, uh, you know, he's a winner. And uh, you gotta like that. Yeah, pro sports is not predicated on what your lifestyle is like. It's predicated on performance and results. So he could he could walk on water, or he can get uh, busted and sent to jail every night. As long as he performs on the playing field and is eligible to perform on the playing field, the fans are happy. Well, yeah, I mean, I think to 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 a degree, but I think we all get kind of tired of. Of you know having guys go to jail, oh, definitely arrested for for DUIs. But but you're right. I mean that's the nature of the game is you know just win baby and all that kind of stuff. But um, you know I think the NFL's tried uh, to to kind of teach their players that uh, you know we uh, you know you got to rein this in. And uh, so I appreciate that. But you're right, we do get kind of short sighted sometimes, and we shouldn't because. Uh, these, these professional athletes have a great impact on a lot of kids. I'll tell you what, back in 81 with the Braves, you had a pretty whole pitching staff of good ones in Gaylord Perry and Phil Necro. I'm looking at their stats here. I mean, you had to have two four-year-olds on that staff. <laughs> yeah, 81, as my memory serves, I think we finished 500 that year. And, and, uh, and, and, uh, we, we started, yeah, we started getting the feeling that, you know, maybe we can turn things around. Yeah, it was fun to play with Gaylord. Uh, uh, for a couple of years there and, and, uh, then 82, um, uh, I, I can't remember when we traded, uh, I guess, I think we had Shambliss in 81. And that's probably the big reason why we started turning the corners, really getting Chris Shambliss at first base. And then 82, we started, uh, started figuring it out. I mean, you had some good players. Shambliss, you had Glenn Hubbard at, at second base, and you had Claudel Washington out in left field. And I think you had a young Brett Butler back then. Yeah, we sure did, um, and uh, that's another reason why we started playing well. Uh, Brett was leading off. We needed a leadoff hitter could steal some bases and get on base, and Brett, had, you know, did great there and had a great career after that as well, being a leadoff hitter. Bob Horner was healthy, playing good, and uh, uh, we had a good staff. Um, and it, yeah, it was no question about it. It was it was a fun year. Eighty two was a fun year. Okay. Now, baseball's always had something going on, whether it's amphetamines or pots of coffee, whatever. Do you feel like the era that you played in was the last somewhat clean era of baseball? Well, a, 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 I, I think, I, I really believe that it's cleaned up now. Uh, now, you, there, are there going to be some guys? There, we didn't really have the option of steroids there for a while, you know. So, you know, I think if, if it had been there, that's what happened is it kind of it got easier to get and the uh, Rules were kind of hazy, and so it just kind of got out of control. Um, but so I think we're still going to have a problem. I, I, you know, I, I, I do look back on the, the old uh, games and, and see a bunch of skinny kids running around there in the 80s. I can't believe how skinny we were. Uh, but the kids now do train better. They do have better supplements. They do have better nutrition. They do take better care of themselves. They train year-round. Um so I think uh, we're going to have a, a few issues because the steroids is still out there and, and, and amphetamines and things. But uh, overall, I think the 
come a long way in, a, in just a couple of years to curb that. I, I've been in locker rooms. You know, I think guys' bodies are really a, a getting to be a lot more like they used to be. And uh, so I think, uh, you know, every era is going to have its issues, but I, I really like where we're at now. Gaylord Perry was funny when we had him on about a month ago. He said not only did he throw the spitball, he was one of the best bat corkers in baseball pick in the 60s and 70s. Oh, well, well, I didn't, uh, he, he didn't tell me about that. Uh, he didn't offer think, his services uh, to you? No, no, he didn't. Uh, I think, uh, you know, maybe it's just in his, in his makeup to be able to, to bend the rules a little bit. Uh, yeah, he, uh, I was, I, I knew I got a few balls in the outfield that felt a little funny as I was throwing them back into the infield. <laughs> Thank you very much, Mr. Murphy. It was a pleasure talking to you, and I got a new job for you. You should be the new commissioner of baseball. Hey, I'm all for it. All righty. I'll, I'll do that. I'll, I'll, I'll do it for half of, half of his year, yearly salary. You, I think that'll put me at about seven or eight. Yeah, million. you just do it for only nine million a year? That's a, that's a bargain. <laughs> all right, guys. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks. That was seven time All Star, former Atlanta Brave and Philadelphia Philly, Dale Murphy. He was a heck of a ball player. And you know what? I didn't realize the knowledge he had with sports and his opinions. I mean, this guy is very articulate, passionate, and he wants to do it the right way. Maybe get him a show on Talk Zone here. Exactly. When we booked him, our producer Dave Olson said, Dave, that's a great get. And I'm going, boy, I get lucky every so often. <laughs> I also want to thank Robert Feeder for that great article in uh, Monday's Time Out uh, Chicago. Time Out Chicago. He talked about our show, what we're doing, and... It's been a pleasure. Yeah. I mean, if Robert Feeder writes about you, if you feel, if you said something nice, which he did, that you're doing okay. He mentioned our producer, Dave Olson, in there, who does a great job. Dave, do you ever think when I started doing a show here two and a half years ago, I'd still be doing this? Uh, <laughs> not so much. Uh, Have we improved over the years? Yes. Oh, thumbs up there. A lot better guests than having has-been athletes no one heard about. We were going big time with Hall of Famers and potential Hall of Famers. And beautiful and women. And beautiful women. Without the beautiful women, we'd just be another sports show. Uh, you'd, you'd be hosting by yourself is what we'd be doing. <laughs> I'd be talking to myself, which I do already. I was going to say, I've seen you talk to yourself. Again, thank you for listening to Sports and Torts. Tune in again next week. I'm David Spade with my co-host, Elliot Harris, and I want to thank our producer, Dave Olson. Thank you. Thank you.